becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Figured out. Let's yeah. <laughs> redo it. Tree falling in the woods. <laughs> Should not use that example. Okay. <laughs> no. Hello. Yeah. Welcome to Cheers the shorts. To the shorts. Hello. Earlier, you said I was bouncy. <laughs> yeah, you were kind of bouncy. It's like, hey, you had a good day. You're kind of bouncy. Uh, yeah, I, I did have a good day. Got a nap today. What? Yeah, that's crazy. Needed it. Yeah, it was a long week. Yeah. It's, it's only Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Damn it. But you were also like a family reunion. Yeah. This weekend I went to a family reunion mm-hmm. and then had a couple long days of work and kid events and things. Um, yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm crushing it. Are you? <laughs> Glad to hear it. I don't know. I just, I like to say that because it makes me feel good. Oh, <laughs> a little positive affirmation. Well, here's, here's, here's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, it's like I'm holding shit together and I think I'm doing it, but that scares me. <laughs> I suppose. Well, it's like, I'm, I'm used to always being on the, uh, on the, on the edge of destruction, you know, mm. like that's just where I like to be. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I kind of feel like I've, <clears throat> I hate to use the word under control because it's not really about having things under control, but it's like holding things together, you know, like you feel like you've kind of got a grasp on what's happening and you're kind of mm. moving forward with a plan that is, is, is good enough, you know, working at the edge of your ability and competence. Mm-hmm that's where the growth happens, right? Yeah. But I think it's also where the yeah. <laughs> destruction happens. <laughs> I think it's unhealthy to probably to be there as much as I'm there. So it's like, I've, I've been also was playing uh so I play like online poker, but not for money just, and I, I use it kind of as a, as a teaching tool for myself because I am a, I'm a kind of a risk taker. So over the last few weeks I've been playing different ways conservatively. Um, you know, everything from like, it's not about winning, as winning a lot, it's about losing less. Mm. And so sometimes I would, I wouldn't take a risk that I, that could have worked out and been amazing, but I was just like, no, I'm not that confident in this. So I'm just going to err on losing less yeah, rather than winning more. seems like, it seems wise. Yeah. So it's interesting to put the kind of like just, I, poker kind of helps me do that kind of like play out those mm-hmm. scenarios, you know? So it's been kind of interesting. I think it was like two weeks ago. I I lost a lot, and I was just like, okay, I want to. I mean, is this real money or fake? No, money? No, it's fake money. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. No, I, I do love playing poker for money, but this what I use this for is more for. <laughs> is it like? Is it like um, playing a game of chess? Like it's working your mind, problem solving, and mm-hmm. hmm. yeah, it's like you know how you bet. Like, the, uh, did you listen to Negrano? with uh, Lex Friedman. No. Fantastic. He really, uh, it's a really great interview. Uh, well, he's the, the chess player. No, uh, no. Uh, uh, Negrano is the poker player. He oh. just won. Uh, was it the, uh, not world P- poker tour, but it's one of the really big events. He won like $3 million in it. Wow. Just recently. So, but he's had like a really rough two years. Hmm. Uh, I mean, still makes money, but like he's been, he's like, they call him kid poker cause he's been around for so long and, hmm. 
he's kind of like old school. He's kind of in between the old school and the new school. Uh, you know, where you had like, a, oh shoot, what was his name? Texas. Um, oh shoot. I've read his book. Oh, anyways, he's old and he's got a hat. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> he's old and he's got a hat. Well, everyone, everyone knows. Can't wait to be an old guy. That with watches a hat. professional poker would like know who that guy is. Okay, Sydney. Oh goodness. Okay. Anyways, uh, but he talks about like how you know like you know poker's changed a lot and and these kids are doing some really new and different things and older people are like going, oh, they don't have respect for the game. You know that mm. kind of comment. And he's just talking about how it's like, no, it's like, you need to learn from these young kids. You know, they're, they're bringing new things to the table. And so instead of saying they don't know how to play poker, it's like, well, they're winning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so, which almost kind of maybe, uh, ties into some of the things you were talking about. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you can say all that you want about how something's not fair or, you know, that's not the way you do it. But if you're winning, you know, mm-hmm. there's gotta be something to it. As long as you're not cheating. I mean, there's, that's a whole nother, there's a cheating right. scandal that right. happened recently. I was actually this morning, I was turning a phrase over in my mind and I'm trying to remember how I got there, but I, I kept saying to myself, everything is pretend until it's not. Hmm. And the follow up to that is everything is pretend until it's judged or until it's tested. Hmm. Like I've been going to, so my my daughter is on the cheerleading team now in eighth grade. And I've been going to the football games to see her cheer and watching the kids. And, you know, these are 13 year old kids playing football and 13 year old kids cheering. And I'm looking at them thinking they don't, they have no idea what they're doing. Hmm. You know, they do sort of, yeah. but in, in a sense, they're kind of playing pretend, Hmm. but then you'll notice these moments where it stops being pretend. Yeah. Like, somebody does something like really well, you know, catches a, throws a pass really well, or does the touchdown and everybody celebrates for them. It's like, this is real. Mm. Um, and so you're learning a new skill, let's say poker, and you kind of have to pretend Mm. like, you know what you're doing until you know what you're doing, you know, something isn't, um, you can't say, that it is what it is until it's tested. And it's like the test is you could say the young kids, they're not playing poker, right? Well, they're taking all your money, aren't they? Like, so maybe it's you that doesn't know how to play poker, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's super fascinating. Also just the idea of, you know, as you're learning something. So I was thinking, as you're saying that, I was like, you know, if, if I, if I sit down at a poker table with uh, my friends or acquaintances, it's like, uh, usually I'm a pretty good poker player. I'm not like great or anything like that, but you know, I, I most of the time come out winning or above or ahead or whatever. But then when I go to the card take card, um, like five, one, two, um, uh, poker room, it's sort of like I sit down on the table and I feel like I'm pretending, right. You know, like I know, like I, I come here, you know, and it might be like all of the seven other guys at the table or eight other guys at the table are also pretending. Right. But in my view of things is like, I'm the one at the table that's pretending because I'm, 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 I, I, I have this perception or idea that I'm at a table with people that are better than me. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and that might not be true, but, but you kind of have, but you sort of, it, it probably benefits you to act as if that's true mm-hmm. to behave as if that's true. I mean, if you come in with all the, 
all these people don't know what they're doing and I'm, and I know what I'm doing, Mm. you're likely going to get taken. Yeah. Because you won't be, you won't be, have your eyes open, Mm -hmm. you know, so to speak. Yeah. It's kind of a, there's, there's kind of a balance there too, because, because you do need to come in with a certain amount of confidence, um, in that you, but you play a little bit more conservatively. I think whenever you come into a situation where you're a little bit, you don't know where you sit, like mm-hmm. what your environment is. So you tend to play a little bit more conservatively. And so you miss out on some hands, but it also saves you from other hands, you know? So, so I think there's something that's good and healthy about that. Um, because like you said, if you come in like I'm the shit and you're just <laughs> like, you know, just laying it down it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, you might actually come away and win a lot, but that might not be sustainable. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to know the lay of the land and who your opponents are and stuff like I mean, that. Isn't that the whole game of poker in a sense is like mm-hmm. learning your opponents? Yeah. I, I feel like I'm talking like, I know all, like what I'm doing here, but, but, but basically it's like, you know, number one is knowing your hand right. and knowing like how valuable your hand is and kind of what's your range that you're looking for. Um, and the cards that are turned over and, 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 and then the, you know, the, the next part is, is you, you do need to know who you're with and, and kind of what their tendencies are, what they're, uh, what they like to play in normally, you know, mm-hmm. cause everybody kind of has a certain range of cards. Like some people will like, will only play ACE Kings or, are suited. That's the only time they'll, they'll, they'll play a pot or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, if you have a, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, they could be playing all sorts of, you know, like two, three, you know, <laughs> and so you know, like, you know, if a, a four five, six shows up on the table, it's like, Oh, you know, well, that would be a good example. But you know, a two, three, six or something like that, you know, it's like very few people are going to have a, like a two, five or a five, six, seven in their hand, you know, to get the straight, you know, but somebody who's just like, doesn't know what they're doing. They are just kind of like going for it. You know, Mm. they could have, they could have, they could have that, you know? And so it just, it's just interesting that it's, it's important to know, you know, who you're sitting with and that's kind of probably in life too. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) like who, who are you sitting down with? Like who are you surrounding yourself with? Hmm. But that's, that's such an interesting point. Know the people that you're surrounded by. Mm -hmm. Like there's something, relational about the well about success in Mm. poker but maybe that's the tie into other things when you say it's like true of life in general Mm -hmm. i saw this um so i've been following this i think he's a psychologist or psychiatrist i'm not really sure this guy named jonathan shedler on twitter and i really like him a lot he he tweeted something the other day about the idea of self-love and I won't be able to quote what he said. I mean, he basically said that the concept of self love is sort of a dumb concept because your self perception is entirely determined relationally. Mm. And so the idea that you can in a vacuum love yourself is, is a, a fraught idea to to be loved you must be in relationship and i go ahead no i just i mean i kind of just wanted you to keep going because i was like i'm really interested in this topic because there's there's one thing that has kind of bothered me is sort of like sort of improving yourself or self-improvement or um 
this idea that your your well being is is more important than those around you. Hmm. And I, I get where that's coming from. I, so there's a part of that I do yeah. get, but. Well, I just pulled it up. Let me read it. He said, I don't know what self-love means. Developmentally, our sense of self is formed via attachment relationships as we internalize relational experiences of care from others. Real change in our experience of self requires a relationship. Self-love in a vacuum is just narcissism. I like that. Real change in our experience of self requires a relationship. So I think if you're if your view of yourself is somehow, um, what's the word out of proportion? Uh, just like bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> a just better sucks. word. For that. Yeah. It just sucks. <laughs> um, the way to change that is through relationship through others to see yourself reflected in others. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I'm, I'm fairly, very, fairly, fairly <laughs> self-sufficient and I don't usually think I need people. Uh, and obviously that's truly and unbelievably false, but I do tend in that direction. But, you know, I remember last week, whenever I, I hadn't talked to you like a, probably two weeks or a week and a half or something like that, I came back and I was just like jabbering like a schoolgirl or something like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, I was like, no, it's like, you have to have those people that you're, that in your life, that are sounding boards. You know, you have to hear yourself, you know, not only hear yourself, but you act in relationship and you get feedback. Right. You know, Allison, I get that all the time. It's sort of like, you know, I act in this relationship and then I get feedback and I'm like, okay, well, what do I do with that? Well, even, I mean, I think, I'm guessing you had this experience. I mean, I have this experience with you. Mm-hmm. You know, we generally talk fairly often, mm-hmm. you know, daily about things that are going on. And so like, if there's a period of time when we don't talk, it's like, I still have an internal dialogue going with you. <laughs> totally. So when we get back together, I've got the bucket of things. It's like, okay, here's all the things that I, you know, need to talk to Michael about. Yeah. You know, totally, yeah. but even when you're not present, that relationship is informing my, Oh, fascinating. Yeah. My inner categorization in my thought process and you build things up (laughs) in someone's absence, you know, that's scary how true that is. (laughs) It's like, Oh, Allison bucket. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Bucket. (laughs) But that's what, that's what it makes me think is like, even if you are alone and you take, okay, sort of the, the, I'll say shallow sort of idea of self love, which is like, you know, I think it's a feminine thing. It's something that women talk about. Hmm. And it, you know, the idea, the caricature of it is like, you know, I'm going to go home and pour a glass of wine and run a bubble bath and then watch my, my stories, which Mm -hmm. is like the old school (laughs) way of saying my TV shows, um, or whatever, self love face mask and you know, Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, in the, in the complete lack of relationship, that's not self love. That's a horrifying sort of depressive prison. Hmm. You know, it's like, because in that time, I think if this is true, like we just said of, of us, it's like, you're processing other things, you're recategorizing things, and <laughs> you are in some continued dialogue, even if it's just you by yourself with the people you're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like there's, there's moments or there's times for the bubble bath or the, the solitary trip or, or whatever it might be, but it's like you definitely need the feedback of the world around you or so you don't 
it's not, you could get kind of delusional <laughs> in a sense, you know, and, uh, as far as like your perspective on yourself and your actions and how you affect the world around you mm-hmm. and how you interact. <clears throat> well, I, so this might be a good segue into the, the thing I wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. but I want to test this idea of like, you need the feedback of others. I think it's much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Like much more fundamental some way. It's not just feedback. It's not that I interact with you and I observe the way that you respond to me and that helps me to change myself. It's something more like whoever it is that I am, you carry part of that. Hmm. And so it's not your feedback that helps me see myself more clearly. It's, it's that you being around me is necessary for me to see myself. And it's not the feedback. It's the, it's whatever of me is in you. Hmm. Um, so it's, I was kind of, I wasn't thinking about that directly, but I was, I, I went to this family reunion this weekend and this is my dad's side of the family, the McCloskey's. And there was about 40 people who showed up, which I was shocked. I thought that was a lot. Um, and there was something of a falling out in that family when my dad's mother died, my grandmother. She died, I think, four years after my grandfather died. And when she died, she, at the end of her life, kind of, she kind of nuked the family. She got meddlesome in relationship and got manipulative. And after she died, I think none of the kids all talked all that much anymore. And I was estranged from my aunts and uncles and from my cousins. And, um, this was two decades ago. She died in 2001. And so this, the fact that this family reunion happened was kind of shocking. And then that everybody came was kind of shocking and that everyone was kind and loving to one another and happy to be there was kind of shocking. Okay. So that's the stage. The stage is set for this, <laughs> this conversation. I see it. Uh, um, but I noticed something start happening. Okay. So my dad, I guess went on ancestry.com and like printed up, uh, in this big, big sort of poster, the family tree starting (coughs) from like my three greats, grandfather, great, great, great grandfather who immigrated to the U S from Ireland all the way down to, you know, the, follow the the tree branches out all the way down to my kids generation. And, um, so that's hanging up. And then his dad, his name was Leo at some point when he was older, before he died, sat down and started to write. I don't know what he thought it would be something of a memoir. And it began dear grandkids. Hmm. And he starts, he was born in 1923. He starts describing, how he grew up, the situation with his parents, the Great Depression, Prohibition. And, you know, when he was young, he was like, my main job was to, like, go secure uh, grains and malts because everybody was making beer in their bathrooms. And <laughs> and he started, and he kind of leads up to World War II, <clears throat> that he was, he was in World War II. And um, anyway, he didn't make it very far, but my dad had this printed up in sort of large font and hanging on the wall 
So everybody there was sort of observing this, this story that you see through the family tree and you see my grandfather, Leo, trying to begin to capture some of it and pass it down. And then surrounded, you are physically surrounded by the fruit of this story, Mm. the, the people that it produced. And as I, I was talking to my aunts and uncles and my cousins and the, the, the natural progression of those conversations tended to be, do you remember this? You know, and we'll reference some period in the eighties or nineties or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like times that we were together. What do you remember? And I noticed that whatever this story through this family lineage is, these other people carry some other part of that story Uh and you're learning things about events that you were present for. You know, I never knew that. I never knew that, that grandpa Leo did this, or I never knew that, you know, you felt this way about that experience or whatever. And it's like, I thought, you know, then at least on one occasion, I think I was talking to my mom about some conversation she had and someone said something to her that was really impactful, mm. you know, that sort of like, I think clarified some things that happened in the past for her. And she looked at, this was one of my cousins said this to her, said something to her. And she looked at her and said, I had no idea and no idea you felt that way. Mm. And my cousin was like, really? My mom was like, yeah, you never told me. Mm. And so I'm standing at this point, looking back upon a fraught, misunderstood, confusing past and looking at how that extends even further back into the past, into this family tree and looking at my grandfather's attempt at capturing something and writing it down so he can say something to the future about it. Mm. And I'm thinking <clears throat> we all, each and every one of us humans, we carry a part of a story. We don't carry the whole story because we are at least on one in, in one way participants, which means there's more to the story than we're accessing. Mm. And to the extent that we don't talk to one another, to the extent that we don't tell people what we think about things, we can't know our own story. Mm. It's like, I can't know myself if I don't, if I don't talk to you hmm. and, and what I mean by that is like here locally, I mean you, Michael, but if I don't talk to my family, if I don't talk to my kids, if I don't talk to my friends, my coworkers, it's like all of the people that I am around, whether I want to be around them or not, hmm. if I don't talk to them, if I don't tell them what I think, then they don't know. And they're there too, you know, they're part of whatever it is that we're living through. And if I don't give my voice to that, then they don't know some aspect of what it is that we're doing this life we're living. And I just felt really, I don't know, kind of floored by that. Mm -hmm. And by the thought that what if we all had the courage to sit down like Leo did and try to write our story and then give it to those that we love Mm -hmm. how much light 
would be shined into the hearts of the people that read it because they would understand something that they never did before and see themselves more clearly than they had before. Hmm. Yeah. I wish I would have kept up with <clears throat> one of our kids were little, uh, we got them all Gmail accounts with their full name, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> their real full name. Got to secure those <laughs> early. <laughs> and so I, at the beginning and you know, with Austin and Elia and then think Emerson and I pretty much stopped after that. Uh, I would write him an email ever so often like, Hey, you did this today. And I thought it was really funny or whatever, you know, it's like, oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, not enough to be like impactful, like Leo, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought that, but it just makes me think of that. Like how, you know, we do want to hear, well, especially from our parents, like we do want to hear, what what kind of like these events that were happening, even though we might were cognizant of them, you know, like yeah. during, you know, just hanging out with Charlie and uh, his family. And, you know, there was a few things that his parents were bringing up. And he was like, I never knew that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you just, it's like, it kind of fills in the gap of, yeah. you know, things that you experienced, but you didn't know all that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I feel that way all the time. My brother and sister remember all these things. And I'm like, Really? Like I didn't experience that at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have a crazy weird memory of your childhood. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Just so y'all know, I, I don't remember my childhood at all. Hardly. <laughs> Go ahead and cycle. There was some me. trauma <laughs> at some point that we don't know what it was yet. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Speculate away. <laughs> speculate. Yeah. Um, well, and so, this all makes me think about the becoming nature of what is true. Hmm. <clears throat> and it, this is kind of where my head's been at the last couple of days is that I'm trying to make a distinction Well, I'm trying to figure out what truth is because I think in our sort of post-modern, post-enlightenment sort of culture, we tend to think of what is true as like a set of facts that can be verified and validated and and enumerated, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think if the last two years have taught us anything, (laughs) I think the last two years have been screaming at us going, that's not the case at all. Well, it's, I feel like we kind of hit two different categories here is like we have that, you know, validated, numerated and uh, verified. Yeah. <laughs> but then you also have this sort of like your truth kind of thing where it's so subjective, like you can just believe whatever you want about yourself or anybody else. And that's your truth and that's valid and that's OK. I think that's probably more of the postmodern aspect of it, you know. And yeah. Well, but maybe I'm trying to take it a third direction, which is that truth is more like something which is becoming Mm. than it is like something that is. And so I was trying to kind of run this thought experiment, like, because I was thinking about all these things that are left unsaid, Mm -hmm. like we have all kinds of things that are left unsaid. Are they true things? And so here's an example. It's something of an arbitrary example, but if I really desire to build a house, but if I don't ever talk to you about it, 
or don't talk to anybody about it and also don't do it. Can it be said that it's true that Matt wanted to build a house? And I think in a sense you could say very rightfully so, you know, I don't think Matt ever wanted to build a house. There's no evidence that he wanted to build a house. Yeah, he didn't speak to anybody about yeah. it. He didn't, yeah. Did he ever talk to you about it? No, never talked to me. Did he ever write it down somewhere? No, didn't write it down. It's like, you can't say that that's true. Mm-hmm. Because it's something like, I think that there's a common thing in, in relationships where one person will say, you know, well, they, they, um, the other person never, let's say, brings me flowers or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, I think the common response is, well, I'm, I'm going to tell him that that's what I want. But I think the truth is much more something like, you know, if he wanted to bring you flowers, he would bring you flowers. Mm. And the painful truth is he probably doesn't want to. Because if he did want to, he would do it. Mm. Um, so if there's no evidence that I want to build a house, it's like, can, can it be said that that is a true statement? And I, you know, I don't want to get too stuck there, but I think probably not. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I talk to you every day about how I want to build a house, okay, now you can say, yeah, Matt really wants to build a house. But then if I never do it, you could still say, well, you know, he wanted to, but he never did. Well, and you could talk about the reasons for why that is. It's a more true statement. But then if I talk to you about it all the time and then I enact, I lay out a plan for it, you know, and then I go a step further and I actually begin it, pour the foundation step further. I finish it. Okay. Now it's becoming a more true statement. Like there is more truth to my desire to build a house now Hmm. in this scenario. So the truth is something more like a becoming than it is like a statement a factual statement. And I, I want to suggest that that is true of, of everything. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, jump in at any point. I'm, I'm, um, <clears throat> well, okay. Let me, let me kind of see if I'm, I'm kind of following what you're saying. Cause I think there's something here that that's, that's kind of interesting. What I what I hear you're saying is that, <clears throat> you know, as as you're kind of like, you know, first thing you think do is you think about something, and then you probably will tell somebody, and then you might make a plan, and then you will start executing on that plan. That's kind of like, generally speaking, how things come to be, you know. Um, but it's it's something that, but it, it but anywhere along the process you're asking yourself, does Matt really want to build a house? And it's, and it's sort of like the answer that is sort of like, yes, almost in all those instances, but because you're talking about time and in that time that Matt was thinking about building a house, you know, he wanted to build a house, you know, when he told somebody he was wanting to build a house. But if you stop at any one of those points, it could always be, you could always finish that statement as no, because if he really wanted to do it, then he would have taken steps to do it, you know? Right. <clears throat> so, uh, so part of it is, is, is by us speaking things out loud, we also learn what we actually want. Yeah. So it's like, even though I might think I want something and then when I tell you it, 
which is a lot of times I'm like, Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you speak it out. You so you act and that's the first part of acting it out into reality is well, first part is to think it into like, kind of like formulate mm-hmm. what that means to you to build a house. And so each step is sort of an acting it out into the world and you get feedback all along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, like I want to build a house. Well, no, I think I'd rather rent because I want to spend that money in other places or right. it's not a good market right now or whatever it might be. <clears throat> well, you're right. I think that the fact that we live inside of time mm-hmm. is part of what makes the truth a becoming and not a, a fact. Mm. Um, well, let's, let's take it a, a different, a different direction. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go this, this strong, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just start here and we'll kind of go like, like a uh, murder is wrong to take somebody's life for no reason at all. No, <clears throat> no justification of like, you know, defensiveness or whatever it might be. Like, is that true? <clears throat> you know? Um, okay. Well, is it true to, th- to think about it? Like, Oh man, I'd like to kill that person. You know, it's like, well, is that murder? You know, it's like, no, that's, that's not murder right there. You know, to, then you make a plan to murder somebody, you know, and like, is that murder? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's not murder. You know, so you kind of like, you start, you start walking this out into real life. And like you, you know, so at some point you, you hit these, these more conundrums. We're not, act, we're not talking about acts of passion either. You know, it's just, it's more of like a, a premeditated type of thing. You know, it's like, so I think that's why we have those even degrees of murder. You know, it's like a crime of passion has one, um, it's, uh, you know, I, I it was murdered in the first degree or second right. degree, whatever it is, but you know, premeditative murder is kind of, I think one of the highest types mm-hmm. of murder. Yeah. And so we do make those distinctions, you know, as far as like, like, but it's still murder. Well, that's a really interesting point is that we don't just simply say murder is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be nuanced about what murder is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can lay out several different scenarios and we treat them differently and we need to because they exist inside of a story Hmm. and it matters whether or not it was premeditated. It matters whether or not it was intentional or accidental. Hmm. You know, it's like the becoming nature of it matters to the way that we deal with it, which is why we do have different degrees of murder. And we have something called manslaughter, which is, homicide, but Hmm. not murder, you know? So I wonder if that kind of has to do with even with the house thing is that, you know, let's say, you know, Matt, you want to build this house and you come up with a plan and me knowing you personally, like I saw that this was something you're going to act out. However, let's say, uh, I want to, I'm going to just say like when your kids dies and you're just sort of like completely like taken apart, you know? And you, so you could, you, so in that instance is you might be able to say like, no, Matt really wanted to build a house, but here was this obstacle that came obstacle, this, this, the situation that came into his life yeah, that took him into a different place. You right. know, uh, I hate using that example because it's not good about something that's like so traumatic that like you would have accomplished that, mm-hmm. but for something traumatic in your life that took you down a different road or something like that. So like that would be, that would be more. I would say like in that instance, you were, you would have been more to more in the place to build a house than somebody who just was like made a plan, but just didn't act it out. 
and they had the means and the capability and, mm-hmm. and whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's a, a helpful distinction, but <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what it is that we want. Okay. Well, so let me say, I, I think that truth is <clears throat> truth must be enacted. Mm-hmm. It, it must be acted upon for it to be true. There is no, in some way, like truth in a vacuum. Like it's this whole idea that we've been talking about. It's relational. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. <clears throat> it exists in the interaction between things. It exists in relationships. Yeah. Um, and are there unexpected, unforeseen things that change the desired interaction of relationships? Yes. You know, so when I was 21 years old, I was in a band and we were doing pretty well, actually. Like it was looking like we were going to make it. And unexpectedly one night, my friend who I'd known since I was seven, who was the bass player in the band, collapsed onto the floor and died that night. The band broke up and I went back to college. It's like, what was that? Hmm. That got in the way that changed the course of my life. Yeah. It wasn't a part of the plan. I did not want it, but it changed what I wanted. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to play in that band. I had dropped out of college for it. We were going to go on tour. We're going to do things, you know, we're going to live our dream. And then after he died, I didn't want that anymore. Hmm. Or maybe it's like I needed to go back to some place of security, responsibility, go finish my degree, gather myself, figure out what the hell this means and where I'm going. Let me throw this little wrenching. Like, <clears throat> so is, I mean, <laughs> is there maybe a difference between like relational truth and, uh, I want to say objective truth, but I feel like that's a little bit too um, poignant or definitive. Uh, because, like, you know, whenever you think of relational truth, is that you're acting in the world and the world is mar- mirroring, mirroring things back to you and you're interpreting and trying to understand what that means. It's like we're always trying to figure out what things mean, you know, so you're in this band you guys have this sort of trajectory that you're on <clears throat> relationally. You kind of are all on the same page and you see this, this thing manifesting itself. And, you know, you drop out of college, which is more of a sign or, or, a, uh, uh, an action that at least va- validates that feeling that, uh, that you guys had as a group. Yeah, you we're know? serious about it. You're we serious want about it. it. Yeah. yeah. Cause at some point you do you have to sacrifice something in order to move into the oh, future. That's a great way to put it. <clears throat> yeah. How so? Well, if you want something, you're going to see the evidence of that in, in that you're going to sacrifice things for it. Hmm. You're going to give up other things from the infinite array of potential things that you could be doing. Hmm so that you can do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. <coughs> hmm, that's good. I mean, it's like maybe back to the relationship example, you know, it's like he never brings me flowers mm. and maybe the girl tells the guy that he's like, well, you know, I just, I'm always running straight from work to meet you for dinner. I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I just really haven't had time. Mm. It's like, 
Yeah. No, you don't want to have time. If you wanted to have time to do that, then you would, you know, you would sacrifice something, mm. get up a little bit earlier, yeah. start work a little bit earlier, leave work a little bit earlier, stop yeah. by the store, you know? So continue your thought though. So in my story, I had sacrificed something, which was the continuation of my education and the security of that. And the, you know, even I think more so when I was in college in the early two thousands than it is now, like that was an expectation, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be maybe a bit more akin to like dropping out of high school now. So it seems like, like in this situation, like things are mirroring back to you, the possibilities, you know, cause I mean, we've all been in a situation where, uh, <laughs> you know, as a friend group, you're like, yeah, man, we're going to totally do this thing. And you're right. like, and like, you're mirroring it back to each other and you're like totally hyped and psyched about it. And then like a month or two goes on and everyone's sort of like, are you still hyped? I'm, I'm hyped. Are you hyped? You yeah. know, it's like, but the, but it's like not only you like relationally in that group doing that, but then also there's a certain response from outside of that group. That's also mirroring that. And so it kind of feeds on itself that, Oh, there's something here, you know? Hmm. Um, you know, but then I think, uh, so I, th- I think there's that part that the more we interact with the world and there's this sort of relational revealing of things of, of maybe truth. But then I also think of just like, foundational aspects that are somewhat embedded in our culture, you know, and are in cultures or memes that have uh, progressed through time that we found valuable, you know, hundreds or even thousands of years ago that, you know, are true and that we have to continually discover them, but they're passed and built into culture in order that we don't have to <laughs> necessarily discover them again for the first time, even though whenever you discover it, right. it's like, it is like the first time. Well, so I've been playing with an idea that <clears throat> whatever is true is less of a fact and more like maybe I'll replace true with <clears throat> ultimately true, <clears throat> ultimate truth is like every plan played out to conclusion. Mm-hmm. And where does that leave you? And I think, yeah, I mean, you might make a plan. You know, it's like Friday night, you're out with your friends, you know, you're, you're bar hopping or whatever. Everybody's super excited. And it's like, oh, we haven't been to one in a million in forever. Like, we should go to one in oh a million gosh. first thing in the morning. It's like everybody gets super excited. <laughs> and for anybody not from Austin, one in a million was... I guess still is. I haven't been there in forever, but it was yeah. like the breakfast place. Mm-hmm. He okay. shakes your hand. Right. <laughs> so you, you we're definitely doing that tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're so pumped up about it. It's like you stay out, everybody's drinking, it gets late. Next morning comes and somebody sends the text, like not going to make it. And everybody's super relieved. It's like, I don't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. You know, my past self wanted to do that. So it doesn't happen. Okay. So simple example of a plan, a plan laid out. What's the ultimate conclusion. It didn't happen. You know, you could, so, so maybe try that on a couple different scales. It's like you might lay out a plan to get married and have kids. Mm -hmm. What's the ultimate conclusion of that? Something more like beautiful relationships. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you would set out to do it in the first place. Let's try a, a negative example because plans 
hopefully are good plans, but there is evil and evil has its plans too. Hmm. So the example that came to my mind was something like the Soviet union. They laid out and enacted a set of plans. So did Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. And what was the conclusion in Germany's example? They got punished. They got destroyed. Yes. Thank you. In the Soviet union example, the plan ate itself alive. Mm. They killed so many people that they became so unstable that they collapsed. Okay. So ultimate conclusion of that plan was judged to be wrong Mm. and not just by someone else. It wasn't someone else saying, no, you're wrong. It's like, no, it didn't work. Mm. Like, all of the human suffering sort of aside, maybe it's not right to make a distinction, but it's like the plan was played to conclusion and the conclusion is it was wrong. It didn't work. You play a different plan. Let's say the plan to, um, have a family. And if it works, it's like, well, when does that conclude? Well, I don't know. I have a good relationship with my kids. They grow up and, somehow out of that have good relationships with uh, people of the opposite sex and they get married and have kids and, and it's that family tree on the wall at the family reunion. It keeps growing and branching. Hmm. Okay. So far seems like a good plan. Um, and if you could play out all those things to conclusion, I think whatever conclusion is, and that's something like, let's say heaven or hell, Everything is either going to heaven or going to hell. It's pointed at heaven or pointed at hell. In the end, I think that what is good wins out because what is not good is self-extinguishing. Okay. I like this distinction. I think, I think we were maybe overusing truth in a sense, because I think whenever, because I think of like, what is good? Like there might be gradations of good or even variances of good. So, you know, um, you know, you can go through a hard breakup and, and come back together or whatever it might be. And it was good. It might not have been good at one point, but as it played out, you see the good in it, you know, where like, you know, Germany, it's like, (laughs) as it played out, there was no good in it (laughs) other than that sort of falling apart, you know? Um, so I think that's, I think that's part of kind of, I'm a little bit a little bit confused on too, is, is that because or maybe that's just, it's sounding like this. And I don't think you mean this is like, like there's, there's a, there is a truth, you know, especially when you're talking about relational, it's more like there is a set of, this might be interesting. Okay. So, so it's not necessarily what you do, but it's how you, how you do it is kind of maybe where, the true part in or, or is the good part is, is because like, does that make sense? Well, let me ask a couple questions. Are you trying to make a distinction between truth and goodness? Maybe are you separating s- those two things? I think I am because I think, um, I feel like there's, we're, we're, we're kind of like maybe those two things are getting a little confused in here. Maybe. Well, I think there's a good question in that. Mm-hmm. Can something be true? Okay. Is there a difference between 
something that is true and the truth? Yes. Okay. What's the difference? Uh, I think it's more of the experience of it. So like the truth I find is more objective and unknowable, although it's approachable. So that's like whenever I say, whenever I think of something is true, it's more of like you're experiencing an aspect of something that is more than what it actually is. So uh, it's sort of like, I think of like when you ride a bike, you know, the first time you get on a bike, you fall off or you fall down and scrape your knee and then you get kind of a little bit better and better and better at it. You know, so you're experiencing this sort of like the truth in a way that, you know, when you first like, you know, pedal down the street, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then you fall down or something like that. It's, it's, uh, I'm thinking more of the experiential aspect of it. And so like when you're in a relationship, you're getting things mirrored back to you. That's kind of like, that same feeling of like, you know, it's a difference between like a three-year-old riding a bike versus like a professional BMXer who understands how, how it moves and how they can flip around in the sky and all the deal of stuff. You know, it's like they have a better handle on the mechanics and what it feels like. And so, um, but again, I think that's, maybe I'm going way off here. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I have a lot of, things swirling around in my head, but Mm. I am trying to propose at least as a grounds for conversation Mm -hmm. that I think, okay. So the idea of objective truth, Mm -hmm. I think is a, in some sense, like a meaningless idea. I, I would say it's foundational. Well, let me try this out. Okay. There's a difference between the idea of an objective truth and a truth that matters. I would say it's only in light of objective truth that truth matters. Subjective experience of truth. I would say that it's only (laughs) in in light of what matters that you can even see an objective truth. Well, so uh, yes, I think, I think from the person, like a, like a, like your, your own personal experience of it, I would say yes. But I think it would have to be definitively that it's reliant on the reference point of, of objective truth, like something to measure against. And that you, cause I think that's something we experience. We always experience, we're falling short of something and we may not know what that is, but we find that the more that we get closer to that, we, experience the the depth more acutely so it's like so in my mind it's like you know it's objective truth is something that is definitive and but not but not attainable objective truth is definitive but not obtainable Mm -hmm. because you can't what collect enough data or do enough measurements Mm -hmm. But it's sort of like an axiom that you have that I feel like anyways, that you have to have in order to move into the world. And I feel like people act, they act that out, whether they believe that or not. What's an example. Well, and this is what I'm questioning Mm -hmm. is we, in our current society, we act out, we behave as if there is objective truth, which is attainable. And when, and I, you know, I think we need to put some definition Uh, to these things. Okay. I see. Yeah. There's, yeah. But objective truth, meaning, a fact in a vacuum, essentially. 
No, I would say something that's it's true whether you want it to be or not. So like a fact in a vacuum, I wouldn't say is objective truth. Okay, what's an example of an objective truth? Well, again, I think we can only we can only get, we can only get close to it, but to like you know, so you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Like there's something that's an objective truth about that is like, you know, you know, to really have relationships with people, it's like, you have to be able to love them as you love yourself. And also like, but you have to be able to love yourself. And so if there's a certain part of like, like the more that you also have a self-respect and love for yourself, then you understand and know how to love other people. Well, would you say that's a truth or a prescription? I would say it's a truth because it's mirrored back to you. You know, um, you know, if you love somebody as you would love yourself and take care of yourself, you know, it's like, you're not going to allow harm to come to yourself, you know, or at least in that in being healthy, you know, it's like, um, if you're in a healthy spot, it's easier to love somebody because it's like, you know what that means. Mm. And so I would say that like, that's an objective truth as far as, you know, love, love goes, you know, maybe, <laughs> mm. Or, uh, you know, well, what's the truth <clears throat> statement there that you have to be able to love yourself to love other people? Yeah. But I also think in loving other people, you learn to love yourself. So it's like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a two way street. Well, so maybe you're, you're starting to wade into what I'm trying to say here. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, in that case, truth isn't static. Mm -mm. Truth exists in the movement in the relationship, yeah. in the interaction, it is enacted. It's an action, not a fact. Uh, I, mean, even, I would say our experience mm -hmm. of it is yes. Like, I, but I think that's the thing is like we stumble across these, you know, you see this in many of the ancient writings, you know, just different things that, that we don't have to experience again. It's something that is true outside of ourselves, whether we believe it or not. Right. Okay. Let's try that on for size. Okay. So the mythology of dragons, mm -hmm. that's something that shows up in a lot of different cultures, a lot of different mm. mythologies. Yeah. And something of the truth in that story is you have to go, well, what you most desire exist where you least want to look. Mm. It, it's, it's, in the darkness of the forest. It's protected by a dragon. Mm. The hero must emerge to fight the dragon to get the gold. There's the moral of that story. Mm -hmm. And that does, well, it seems to be true because we keep telling the story, mm -hmm. right? And we keep acting it out. We keep acting it out. Mm -hmm. It's true. But how do you teach that to someone? You don't say simply, Hey, the thing you most desire exists in the place that you least want to look. No. Cause you know, we, mm -hmm. <laughs> otherwise we would have just written that down and then we'd be like, got it, <laughs> got it. <laughs> you know, no, but we keep writing stories about it. Yeah. We keep making movies, mm -hmm. writing poetry, singing songs, acting it out over and over and over again. And I would say that is something like an ultimate truth because mm -hmm it is being acted out constantly because it's true. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yet to know it's true, you have to act it out. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you engage. So, well, what's true about it? It isn't enough for me just to simply say it. Mm-hmm. It's better if I show you mm. through, let's say, a book or a movie. Now you know something more about what's true. But even better than that is for you to go live your life and act out your life and see it in your life. Okay, now you really know something that's true about it. Even better than that, you go back and start reading history and see the way others acted it out. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, now it seems even more true. It's like there's maybe the truth existed in the initial statement of the thing you most desire exists in the place you least want to look. But as it's acted out, as it's represented and re-represented, it seems to become more true. Mm-hmm. So like, where's the, where's the truth? Have, it's like, it's something like we haven't gotten it yet. We well, haven't, we whole, haven't reached it. Well, I think it's the whole point about that is because it's like, it's not about reaching it. It's a, it's, it's more of a, uh, of an arrow pointing in a direction and it's a feeling it's a, it's a, a desire, you know, but as we, as we act it out, it becomes more subjectively true to us, you know, as far as acting that out. I mean, it seems like that's the human experience. Like, I, I feel like sometimes we're trying to design the hu- human experience into something that's, you know, just even evolutionary speaking is not built into our biology or our memes. It's like, Oh no, we can just change. We can be different. You know, like, no, no, we have thousands and thousands of years of history and the stories that have told something to us, it's not that we can just change overnight. You know, it's like, um, like what does it mean to plan for the future into the future? I mean, I mean, cause like up until maybe a hundred years ago, you thought about like, okay, I'm going to have kids so that, so that my kids have kids and like, I'm planning for this heritage into the future. And you know, that storyline has kind of been lost in the 21st century. And so what effect does that have on our psyche and on our, our institutions, on our culture, on our, you know, society, when we, when we're losing that storyline, it's either that it's outdated and we don't need it anymore, but we've need, we've had that story for thousands and thousands of years. So either that's true that we don't need that, or we're going to suffer something because we haven't heeded some truth that is very, dependent and important to us as human beings. Well, back to my idea that whatever is true is something like every plan played to its conclusion. Mm. You know, can we eject from the rules laid forth through millions of years of evolution? Well, (laughs) we're trying it. Mm -hmm. Is that going to work? Yeah. It might not. It might. You know, hopefully we learn as we go, mm-hmm. but we'll find out if that's true. And we have to find out if that's true. I mean, you could take any given issue and find someone who's going to be willing to die on the hill on either side of it. Mm-hmm. Who's right? You have to play it out to find out. I mean, it's like a game, you know, it's like a poker game. Mm-hmm. You can't at the beginning of the poker game say 
who's right. You sit down <laughs> at the yeah. beginning. You know, it'd be something like a bet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no science that you can apply to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at odds you, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you can look at odds. You could say, yeah. well, Matt's at the table and he's played poker four times his whole life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Dan Bilzerian's on the other side of it. And he's, you know, won all these championships. So it's like really likely <laughs> <laughs> that I can say Matt's not going to win here. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's beginner's luck and whatever. And yeah. so... <laughs> The truth is more like a game that you play and see what shakes out at the other side. Mm. And I keep trying to wonder, or I keep trying to think like, how do I bring something like, okay, well, we're not talking about a certain kind of truth maybe. And that certain kind of truth is more like objective truth, more like the law of gravity. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't argue with it. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you how it's going to behave every time. It's so predictable, you know, that in the 60s, we were able to take a tin can and put people (laughs) in it, set off a bomb on the bottom, and, like, Mm -hmm. we did the math ahead of time and got it right so that we could send those people 220,000 miles away, and that tin can would catch the pull of the moon's gravity just so that it entered orbit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's pretty true, right? Gravity. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how to incorporate that into this, but well, I think, I think there's the part is like, is, is there are things that are mechanically true. And then even, I think there's some things that are relationally true too, because you know, you, you have, you know, the view of like, I mean, it's so easy to use the Nazis as an example or, you know, even, uh, Russia in the sense, you know, uh, they had this view of the world and they just end up killing everybody because you had to, in order to hold that, view. hold that view. And, you know, like in Russia, it was like, you know, you, you kept going up the hierarchy or going I think down Russia the hierarchy. Is a better example actually mm-hmm. of killing people in order to hold the view. Yeah. Cause you kept going down the hierarchy. Once you killed off the top part, you just keep going down you know, because those people are more privileged than the the group underneath. And then you find yourself in the privileged group. It's like, at some point we got to be like, okay, Hey, there's something in this that is not, we'll basically kill ourselves out until there's one person left, <laughs> you know? So, so there's, there's something wrong with that sort of viewing, um, of reality. And so, you know, <clears throat> I was just listening today. Uh, someone was talking about this too, is like, you know, something that we have learned is that, you know, we don't want to have a concentration of power. And that was something like our forefathers saw. And so that's why they tried to divvy out the power of the United States Mm -hmm. and that, you know, you have a federal and a state government, you know, you have a judicial, um, executive and a legislative. (laughs) And who was it that said absolute power corrupts? corrupts Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't Machiavelli, but it was, uh, I forgot the, who the person was. Um, yeah. So it's like, so, you know, we saw this part as like, you know, it's like, we don't want power to, to actuate or, or, or flow into fewer and fewer people. And you can kind of see that in, uh, in a lot of areas where it just ends up corrupting the system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, you do want to have, there's this aspect of a sovereign individual acting in community and, Oh shoot! I forgot where I was going with this, but hmm. 
Oh, well, so yeah, so I being like the way that you said time. that sovereign individual acting in community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the relational aspect. And actually, even when I when I think about, I like the way you put it: um, mechanical truths. Mm. Even mechanical truths are relational. Mm. I mean, what if you if you look at gravity itself? Hmm. What is gravity? Oh, interesting. What's the relationship between two bodies? Hmm. And, you know, the gravitational field is predictable and measurable, but also dependent Hmm. on the relationship between two things. And just our, even our relationship with time too. I mean, or emergent from the relationship between two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Relationship with time. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about even, you know, up through the millennia and like the importance of family and lineage has always been a thing. And I feel like that's something right now that we don't have. And obviously there's, there's, you know, a dark side to these things too. So, I mean, it's like, and it's not necessarily for everyone, but I would say the majority of us, like we should get married and we should have kids and Mm -hmm. move into the future to, and having grandkids and, and because it does change the way that you view the future and how you, what you invest in today. You know, if I have, if I have kids and then I have grandkids, I'm going to be thinking about the future of, of my grandkids. You know, it's like there's, there's an easy, there's an easy jump to that. And usually if someone's thinking two or three generations ahead, the decisions you make today are going to be different than somebody who doesn't have that view of the future. You might get the whole, you know, version of, you know, climate uh, activist of sort of like, it's better that there be less humans. You know, it's like, it's, mm. uh, I forgot that you, you did so good. Like the human centric versus mm. <laughs> environmental centric. <laughs> I always forget that yeah, distinction. It's, it, <clears throat> is your frame of, well, is your desire for human flourishing or to reduce environmental impact? Mm. Well, as you're saying that, yeah, this like view of lineage, view of the future. I'm, I'm again thinking of that, that family tree that my dad put up on the wall at the reunion, you know, and I'm, I'm like down toward the bottom, mm. like one of, you know, 30 or something on that row. And then it, <laughs> it converges up to, let's see four, five, five above me mm-hmm. to a man named Ed, Edward McCloskey who Im- immigrated here. And then it goes down below me to my kids. And as I was looking at, and I'm thinking as you were saying that, I, I wish when I was sitting there looking at it with my kids, I would have said something like, you see you here at the bottom? Hmm. Someday you'll be at the top. Hmm. And what will flow from you will be generations of people yeah. and all of their lives will be affected in some sense, determined, but certainly changed by who it is that you are yeah. and what you give to them. Like that's a pretty humbling thought. Let's, let's think of something too here. I mean, cause I think it's something that, you know, I think again, we've talked about this many times, like, you know, women understand in a certain way <clears throat> a lot quicker than men do because they're, 
sort of window of opportunity is a lot smaller than men, you know, as far as like, you know, being able to produce babies to menopause, you know? Um, but you know, it's like when you come to the end of your life, you know, what is it that you want to be remembered for? What are you moving into the future? And this is, this is, I know there's, there's uh, situations out there where people can't have kids or, you know, there's that, but I think vast majority of people that's within their sort of framework to, to move into the future. You know, it's like my mom's getting old and we just put her in a, not put her in a house, but it's like a assisted living, but for active old people (laughs) (laughs) or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, but moving her and all the things she had to do to do that is like, but she had us to help her to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, who's there to help you, you know, when you're at the end of your years, you know, uh, I think there's something, or even like having grandkids around and what that means. Uh, again, there's something that we, we, we tend to disregard is that there's something that we have to sacrifice today in order to build a future. And I think, I feel like what I see in our culture is we're unwilling to sacrifice certain things in our youth in order to build a future. Hmm. It's like, I'd rather go travel the world or, um, you know, do all these activities in sacrifice of building a future. Hmm. And so you find yourself in your thirties saying, Oh goodness, well, what am I going to do in my forties and fifties and sixties? You know, I've kind of done everything. I've traveled all the places I've, you know, done all the drugs or (laughs) whatever it might be. It's like, am I just going to do more of this? Hmm. You know? And like, what does that mean? Well, that's interesting. Maybe it becomes kind of boring. Maybe the antidote to that is to, (laughs) well, create new people (laughs) (laughs) who see it differently Uh and who you can encounter it again for the second time or fourth time or 10th time. Mm. Because it is that relationship that, changes what things are Hmm. it's like you know you think about this with your kids when your kids start getting a bit older you start thinking about all the things that you love that you want to show them Hmm. isn't that you want to experience them again you want to experience them again with them Hmm. and see it through their eyes see them experience it it's, yeah, it's like my ter- it take on Disney World or something. Like yeah, <laughs> it's like having children not only renews our species, it renews your experience of everything. Heartache and and mm-hmm. and beauty too, you know. Yeah. Well, I think again coming back to what we we're talking about before, and I think kids are that one of the perfect mirroring aspects, they mirror back to you in an innocent way that where, you know, as we get older, we're able to maybe, um, shield that sort of maybe mirroring to somebody reality in a way that, um, that's useful or helpful. It's sort of like, you know, where if like, you know, you do something to me, I'm like sort of, Oh, okay. I can kind of like, uh, kind of make 
different scenarios of how that affects. But if you do something to a kid, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, dad, that sucks. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're like, well, I guess, yeah, that does kind of suck, you know, but you're still grounded, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, but they, but they mirror back to you in a very raw way that, you know, even as adults, we're able to kind of see the complexities of things. And, um, but there's something about that's really like, cause it's innocent. It's not, uh, because we call people like that, that are in their thirties or forties children, you know, mm-hmm. that can't, can't understand or deal with the complexities, but children, we don't expect that from them. And, mm. but there's something that's, there's, there's innocence in it that helps us that mirrors back that sort of like, yeah, no, that really is hard. That yeah. is really difficult, mm. but this is what's better for you because I'm looking at your future, not just you today. You know? Right. <laughs> Did we, did I, we go I, anywhere? I, I don't I know. think we, we, <laughs> we might've gone somewhere. Yeah. Well, I don't think circles I, are still going somewhere. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I do think that's a good place to end it. I did like to just, I mean, I feel like that's something that you, you and I are really kind of walking around a few things here. I don't know if we necessarily landed, but, mm. uh, it's kind of, it's kind of given me a little bit more perspective on, the complexities of, <laughs> of well, maybe this. here's a, a good way for me to summarize right. where I feel mentally, which is that I'm seeing things that are interesting to me, but I don't yet know how to ask the questions hmm. that get me anywhere. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. A lot of it's just getting to the right questions. Got to get to the right questions mm-hmm. because I'm not sure if the question is something like, well, what is truth? Mm-hmm. It's sort of not a pointed enough question. So maybe the question is more like, is there a difference between truth and goodness? Or is there a difference between what is true and the truth? Mm-hmm. But still, those don't seem like the right questions. And so I'm kind of coming up with these thought experiments and these examples and scenarios all to sort of exp- to try to get at what's the heart okay, of the experience of talking to my family members and realizing that my story is carried not just by me, but by the people around me. And the interaction is important Hmm. in order to know what's true. Hmm. That's good. All right, we'll leave it there. (laughs) Cheers. Love you guys. Love you all. See ya.